I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Megan. Hey, how's it going, Tyler? It's good. I'm excited for this episode. You were, I feel like you were really into this one, yeah? I don't know. I think this is, I think this is more of a Tyler. It, I love this episode. So like a streak of two, you know, back to back Tyler to Tyler episodes, first featuring Dwight, but now featuring Toby. I feel like finally we have the opportunity to come around to your central love on the show. This is a Toby show and or Toby episode, and I'm really here for it. But yeah, yeah, I guess I'm getting confused because the last episode you were texting me, you were like, this is, you know, a novel like episode, right? The Michael's birthday. Yes. But you yeah, didn't I, feel that way about this one. Not not is this does this even rank for you in the top, you know, nope. top wow. Doesn't rank. Do you not like this episode? I would just say I'm pretty neutral on this episode. Fascinating. Yeah, that's why Michael's birthday was a real peak for me. Actually, I, I kind of want to th- think about where this is in the arc of the season, but I feel like in terms of The episodes that I super connect with, Michael's birthday is the high point of the season. Wow. All right. I know, I remember Casino Night a bit, and I know that's Um, not. Yes. uh, I'm excited to see where, see how I feel about that one. But yeah. um, Yeah. Well, before we jump in, um, we have got to talk about our revisions and regrets first. And then there's going to be a new segment I'm excited to to talk to you about but uh first yeah revisions and regrets from last episode you know what tyler i actually don't think i have any this time are you serious first time ever so you better be bringing something <laughs> i have nothing i have nothing i was like oh megan will have something and that'll save me so but that's all right because i have i have um a game for you to play at some point too oh, no. uh, yeah oh <laughs> yeah nervous. Okay, well, so uh, we have another segment after our revisions and regrets. Um, I don't know what what should we call it? Should we call it like, you know, the the weekly receptionist or the (laughs) Pam's Corner, you know, or so we need something. I like like the weekly receptionist. But um, people listening, they they don't know this, but neither do you, Megan, is that like before we started recording today, Uh I created a new email address for the podcast (gasps) because I feel as if you know I want to get more messages from our listeners I feel like it will spice things up it'll make me feel good and uh it'll be funny um but I I don't use the Twitter I almost want to delete the Twitter because I hate that it exists and that I've failed to use it and people aren't really messaging us on Instagram so um so I created us an email address, and the address is, are you ready for this? Ready. The best office hours podcast <laughs> email.com. Nice. One, one more time. It's the T-H-E best B-E-S-T office hours podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll put that maybe in the show All notes. Right. So people should feel free to email us. Um you know, comments, queries, questions, uh, you know, new ideas for segments, you know, feedback, nice feedback. <laughs> yeah, no death threats. <laughs> yeah, please, none of that. All right, awesome. So are you going to be monitoring this email? Yeah, I'll check it. 
Okay, that's great. That's really exciting. Um, wow, I love that. You know, I actually have one piece of listener mail, sort of mail that came to Instagram. <gasps> so I'm excited. This is, really, this is really exciting. This goes back um, to a time when we asked about the mousy looking toys that are behind Michael's desk. And they're in this episode, they're in a lot of episodes and they're just sitting there behind him and they look like this very particular thing and I can never figure out what they are. So we'd asked if listeners knew. So here, check out this comment. I am going to read it for us. Very informative from Greased Weasel. <laughs> awesome. Hello from New Zealand. You asked a question about the small mice-like creatures Michael has in his office. My apologies if this has already been answered. It has not, so thank not you for writing in. But I only very recently found your podcast and I'm working my way through the episodes. The mice are, I think, a toy release between 2001 and 2005 called, I'm not sure if it's Gemmy or Jemmy, it's spelled G-E-M-M-Y, Dancing Hamsters. I don't know a great deal about them, but do know that one of them sang Kung Fu Fighting, I think Alvin and the Chipmunks, as to tone and style. I could see Michael liking something that sings oh, Kung Fu Fighting, right? Definitely. Um, and the person goes on, I must have watched the whole series of The Office more than 40 times at this point, but there is something about this show that I find deeply satisfying and immensely enjoyable, and which keeps me coming back to it long after I should have gotten tired of it. Keep up the good work. Oh, thank you, Greased Weasel. Yeah. Yeah. So, so cool. Thank you for your comment and for filling us in. I feel so satisfied to know what those hamsters are. Yeah, I feel like it opens up just like I'm quickly Googling and, and like just imagining Michael wa like <laughs> watching this show or, 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 or being interested in it. Like it's so, I want to know how he got connected with the dancing hamsters. Yes. I know, I know. It's a it's a curious, curious thing, but it's just fun to know who they are. I will say actually, I wait, do you have something else on this? Well, I was just gonna say, uh, how cool that we have a listener in New Zealand. I know. I feel yeah. really honored. And uh yeah, so thank you so much for writing in. Yes. Weasel. What a name, Greased Weasel. <laughs> no, I'd like to know more about that. I too. feel like Kevin would really like that name. <laughs> If it was Greased Weasel 69, it would be perfect. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect for Kevin. So we have that. I also have one other listener comment from someone who said that as a child and family therapist, they definitely think there is an issue going on in the, this is when we talked about Michael's birthday. Yes. And okay. When he goes into, you know, we spent a lot of time close reading his birthday when he's a kid yes. and his mom takes him in and rubs cream on him for cream. many hours. And this, this person said that from, from the child and family therapy perspective, yes, there is definitely an issue when he is that level of center of attention for his mom and not out there for the birthday party. So uh -oh. We were on track on that. I was thinking more about the that episode in light of um, the when's the episode? It's a couple episodes before that, right? Where we see him. Um, it's the or it's the episode before "Take Your Daughter to Work Day," where we yes. see his video and he's like, "I want to have a lot of kids, so they have to be my friend." Yeah, I was thinking back to that. Like, I'm gonna force people to be my friend. Mm -hmm. after our our birthday conversation a little bit um yeah 
yeah uh, anyway, so so yeah. this was this therapist offering any solution you know like what do you do when you have a person when you have a boss that no but I can I can follow up with her for some more um, yeah some more detail on that but yeah the previous it's interesting to connect it to take your water take your water take your daughter to work day because that's also when Michael is he's got his hair all combed down and he's dressed in a little suit and someone says I can't believe his mom dressed him that way right we talked a little bit about the role of the mother in making her child look like that yeah and maybe we get a little bit of that with Oscar's point today about stage moms. <laughs> yes, maybe, yes. Maybe Michael's mother was a little bit of that. I'm really excited to talk about Angela's poster. It's almost exclusively what I want to discuss. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> but we should encourage people to rate and review us also on Apple Podcasts. How do you, do you know how to rate and review? I don't even know that I've rated or reviewed our own podcast. Um, I I think you can just hit, there's like a, a thing where you can hit the number of stars okay. and hopefully you can just do an ad comment. But I did make the mistake of in our first episode saying like too much. And we had somebody say they listened to the first 10 minutes and couldn't stand that. So I have corrected my path, but that is bringing down our rating. So people who like us, please give us, give us some stars. Yeah. Also, fuck that person. <laughs> um, I hope they. I hope they've listened all the way through and they arrive at this moment when we finally acknowledge them. But hey, fuck <laughs> you. And not for nothing, I was listening back to what whatever episode is posted right now. Uh, I was listening and I was like, "Oh, I say like all the time." And I also I say like I say um I say kind of like I, I have a whole what? bunch of verbal tics. <laughs> And it is distressing to listen to because it is like exactly how I speak in the classroom. And anyway, the fact that this person didn't mention mine uh, also is sexism because, <laughs> because I'm uh, between the two of us. I'm definitely the valley girl when it comes to likes, ums, and uh, and you knows and whatnot. So um, I love I love thinking of you as our as our valley girl and the person actually didn't specify but that was just oh then it was me said the host but i had listened to that one and i was like oh i need to i need to course correct here and try to go back on that i, I love that you listen to it and you're like i'm gonna change whereas i'm like oh no i'm digging in yeah <laughs> it, this is gonna be a, a like 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 kind of podcast now um anyway that might be male privilege, Tyler. <laughs> yeah, I think so. so. You've got to cling to like and go in with confidence. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, get into it. Well, I was wondering if you would like to play the game that I have for you first. Oh, oh God. <laughs> I'm nervous, but yes. Well, what, you're right. Let's, let's list the title and do the summary, and then we can play the game. So... Um, the title of this episode, this is season two, episode 21, Conflict Resolution. And in this episode, Michael takes over HR's conflict resolution efforts and chaos ensues among the office mates. So I was, uh, you know, maybe a little bored and I decided to write down my complaints. What would be my conflicts with every character in the office? And oh, so I was wondering if you would like to try to guess which character I'm complaining about. 
Oh, yes. Yes, I want to play this game. This is great. Okay, bring it on. Okay. Um, never, ever smiles at me. Like, doesn't smile back. Angela. Nope. Damn it. Um, Creed? Nope. <laughs> oh, I didn't even put down a Creed complaint. I got to think of that. <laughs> he doesn't smile at you. Is it Ryan? No, no. He smiles. Of course he does. But does he smile at you? Mm. I wasn't sure if it was specific just to the character or to how they would treat you. It's me. It's Tyler in the office. So never <laughs> smiles back at me. Stanley? Nope. Oh, my God. This game is, this is gonna be a rough game. How many tries do I get? You keep going. Yeah, there's no there is no end. Kevin. Uh nope. <laughs> Dwight? No. Toby. Yeah. <laughs> Did you even count the number of attempts I just made? Uh, no, no. I it was like nine. <laughs> um doesn't know my name. Stanley. Definitely. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Never ever has the candy that I like. Pam. Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't hold the elevator door for me and is bad at conversation in the Ooh. elevator. Ooh. Who is that person? Dwight? Mm -mm. Hmm. Ryan. Nope. Oh God. Mm. Jim? Yep. <laughs> is, that, is there a time when that happens with Jim? I don't know. I just think he would be. He would never hold the elevator for me. And I feel like he would be bad at conversation. That's uh yeah. That's what I feel. So right. um I love these specific complaints that you've got about people. This is great. It's just what I sort of imagine, you know, they might do, but uh yeah. Puts a boot on my car because of my bad parking. <laughs> Dwight. Yep. <laughs> um, hides uh, Bible quotes in the uh, donuts. Oh, that's beautiful. Angela. Yep. Uh, won't shut up about Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. <laughs> Phyllis. <laughs> um, he's con so constantly it changes the thermostat and makes me really cold. Oscar. Mm -hmm. uh, sends me sends me dirty um, like memes over office email. Kevin or Michael? Mm, 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 mm. I'll go Kevin. All right, it is Kevin. You got it. <laughs> um, smells like Axe body spray. Ryan? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, won't shut up about Ryan. Kelly. <laughs> um, Michael, though. <laughs> she leaves empty uh, bottles all over my desk. Meredith. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> keeps giving me Swiss Army knives. <laughs> Dwight? No. Although that would have made more sense. Creed? Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like he would do weird stuff, you know. Um, I would and, think uh, maybe more using switchblades than Swiss Army knives if we want to get particular. There we go, switchblades. That's right. That's right. Maybe <laughs> even like that switchblade comb or something. You know, it has to be weird. Oh, um, yeah. 
and then uh, uh, shows up um, uninvited to my birthday party. Michael. Yeah, you got it. Oh my gosh, Tyler, what a lovely game. That was so good. I just was like, huh, I wonder what my complaints about these people would be. And uh, anyway, so I'm curious, do you have anything that comes to mind if you were like working with these people you would imagine being a real trigger for you? Oof, that is such a good question. I feel like I have to give it more thought and see if anything comes to me during the episode. Well, maybe- I definitely relate to Oscar in this one big time. So I think that might that might get us into Angela. My my complaints about Angela. <laughs> well, let's start at the top. So we've got some uh, wedding planning going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, did we read the summary? Yeah, you read the summary, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we've got some wedding planning coming on. Yeah, so at the beginning, Kevin asks Pam if she has a band picked out for the wedding and recommends his band Scrantonicity. Great name. Great name for a band. I totally love it. Any thoughts? <laughs> oh, am I carrying this one because you hate this episode? <laughs> you, might, you might be a be a heavier hitter here. Um, I yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting that it's sort of setting up at the get-go what Jim's gonna be upset about. Yeah. Um, he I mean he says that he's fine with hearing this. She hears me arranging my social life. Um, and by the end of the episode, we're going to discover actually he's pretty cagey about his personal life. He doesn't really, he isn't open and honest with her about it. Um, but I thought this was kind of an odd cold open because we have like a few different, um, stories that are mentioned at the outset, right? Like we have the, um, search for a wedding, Jim's feelings about it, uh, Angela not getting the, um, save the date yes setting up the photographers right uh like the that they're doing staff photos or whatever this day so i was like oh this is kind of a dense opening it's not especially punchy i'm not even sure i can remember where it breaks is it after the dwight makes fun of or is is it after dwight says can you imagine if i was deranged and then we go to the credits i think it's before that or is it clown but I don't know exactly, I can't remember. Cause I think Michael, when he talks about his haircut is after. Uh, oh, maybe it's when she says, I don't want anybody there called me a hussy. Yes, I think that is it. That's yeah. it. yeah, yeah, that's where it cuts. So, so this- it just sets up the wedding and Jim's frustration. Yeah. And it's much more connect, much more directly connected to the episode itself than they often are. Yeah, this is a good example of the contrast between this and the, uh, when he's trying to sell them on calling cards, right? Where it's yes. like, that doesn't, isn't really part of the plot. Like this is both part of an ongoing plot in terms of her conflict with Angela and as we'll discover Jim's conflict with Pam. Um, yeah. It's which, not especially funny. Yeah, it's not especially funny. I was going to ask which kind you like better. The one where it's really separate from the episode and then you kind of have to make connections or the one where it just more naturally sort of feeds in like this. I like a one-off. I really do. I, yeah. I I like it for two reasons. First, I think they tend to be funnier. And then second, I feel like it expands the world of the office. Yeah. You know, it feels as if you're dropping into, this is actually how I feel. I don't know if you watch or have watched a lot of James Bond movies, but the James Bond movies always have this, you know, five to 20 minute um, opening. And over the last like decade or so, they've increasingly all been linked to the plot. 
And I really hate it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I liked when it was the wrapping up whatever mission and, you know, and then the movie's going to be the new mission. And mm. I liked it because it allowed you to imagine that the world that James Bond or whatever inhabits is much bigger than yeah. the particular story that you're entering. And I, I feel that way about The Office too. I mean, and then the other thing is it's just, I think it allows you to have kind of a punchier joke. I want to laugh as we go into credits. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I like that idea about it expanding the world because it does give us this opportunity to see some dimension of the office that is disconnected and that would be hard to naturally seamlessly write into it. But things like this about the wedding, about the invitations, it seems like there are other ways to give us that information and introduce that context that maybe this is a missed opportunity. Yeah, I think it should have started out with some, if you were going to connect it to the plot, you know, it, I mean, it's much funnier, the the image of Oscar wearing that poster that we get later, you know, so maybe something with the poster mm -hmm. up at the top or something, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, do you have thoughts? Well, first, I'm curious, did you have a band for your wedding, number one? And number two, uh, yeah, do you think that, she should give Angela a, a save the date or not. I was going to ask you exactly the same thing. Mm. So no, for the wedding, a, a kid we knew played CDs and not, nice. not very successfully, but it didn't matter. It was very fun. So yeah, I wanted to ask what your take is on whether Pam should have invited Angela. I think absolutely not. If someone has called you a hussy, you do not need to invite them to your wedding. And I don't believe in this thing where you have to include everybody to avoid their feelings getting hurt. I think you've reached a point where you're all adults and you got to put some boundaries on things. You can't just invite everybody to everything. And so I feel like when you're making a big list like that, you just have to have some rules that you then kind of follow. You know, like, do you invite your friend's parents? Do you invite children? Do you invite people that are in this circle or that circle? And I think not inviting people who called you a hussy is a really good line to follow. And it's interesting that that's not something that she can even, like that she can say to Angela. I guess maybe that's a conflict that doesn't get worked out that should. What do you think, Tyler? Should she have invited Angela to make her feel included? Not at all. Uh, and I was angry that by the end of the episode, she gives her a save the day. I was like, come on. Like, and, you know, I mean, I think it's hard because Angela is um, like explicitly being like, why aren't you inviting me? You know, or whatever. I didn't get mine or something like that. Um, and Pam, as we know, is conflict avoidant in general. So like, it makes sense that she would cave. Um, but it sucks. And yeah, I completely agree with you. I'm like, you don't have to invite everybody. I do. My my sense is that like, this is very tricky for people uh, having yes. conventional like weddings. Um, you know, I, I, uh, Jen always calls it the Christmas card problem or something like that. It's like, oh, if you yeah. it, you're sending out Christmas cards or whatever, like who, who doesn't, doesn't get one or something like that. Yeah. That's gotta be a big problem for you as a huge Christmas card guy. <laughs> I we have fallen off. I've fallen off. I've kind of given up uh, holiday cards almost entirely the last couple of I, the pandemic. I was like, whatever, we're done here. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. 
we'll see if I ever return to it. But nonetheless, this this yeah, like I I get the pressure. And I, you know, you could say like, well, the fact that Pam talks about the wedding so much at work or whatever, or that she's inviting some coworkers, like it would be difficult to totally. like, because if it's Phyllis who brought it up and mm-hmm. is just making casual conversations. So that would be tricky. But yeah, I think you got to have a hard line, even if you lie and say, oh, you know, we're trying to keep it to whatever. Yeah. You know, something like that. Yeah. So then so, we, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Just gonna say, I feel like Phyllis should not have. Phyllis should have been a little more discreet. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I know. I was like, come on, Phyllis. Phyllis is real interesting in this episode. By the way, she you is. Really Want to talk about it? I mean, as a way in, she has put on makeup um, mm-hmm. for her photo, and that's sort of our introduction to the ID badges that are being taken. Yes, I. Dwight is so mean. It is the funniest reaction, though. I think it's really mean. It really hurts her feelings. But Dwight sees her. She takes off her glasses and she has makeup on her eyes. She's got blush. It's colorful. And Dwight says, oh, what is on your face? Is that a disguise? (laughs) (laughs) And for some reason, I think the question of whether it's a disguise is so funny. (laughs) I just was like, "This, I hate this guy. I was like, come on. But it was interesting because the guy who's the photographer is I, he's from 30 Rock and yeah, it was just so weird right. to have him be. I mean, he's always kind of disaffected, but here he was yeah. like had an edge to him in a yeah. way but in 30 Rock. He's more pathetic and depressive. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I do you think, though, Dwight is a little. I don't know. Is there something that he is on to about makeup does he have some kind of legitimate analysis of makeup as disguise and there is something interesting about when you're getting a picture taken and the desire which i have to look different than you do in actual normal life right for a picture and there is some kind of disguise element to that or i don't don't know if you ever have that where you see a picture of yourself and you're like oh, I, I don't like that. Like, that's not a flattering picture of me. Mm-hmm. And then I think, well, that is just what I look like on right. a normal day. So, right, right. You know. <laughs> no, I totally, I feel that way about, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know about photos, especially event-based or like, um, yeah, like a driver's license photo, but like, oh, it's a special event and we're taking pictures. Like when I've been, you know, I've been yeah. the officiant for a few weddings or, and in, in some other ones and like the taking of the photos and the whatnot. I don't know. And there's something very strange to me about like none of them feel like everyday life. And I guess that's the point. But then, yeah, I don't know. I would much prefer a candid mm-hmm. in general, um, even if I don't look as good in it. I'll, I don't know. I don't know. I have this weird like I don't recognize myself in photos when I'm dressed up and Hmm. I feel like I look like a little church boy. I don't like <laughs> you look like young Michael Scott. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, I do. Th- I mean, I don't know. I think it's it's cruel of Dwight because um, because it is. But also, yeah, it is interesting that Phyllis like wants to wear makeup, and it's a moment in the show where it really calls attention to the fact that like on um, in general, all of these actors are made to look um un 
you know, undone up or whatever. I don't even know what the phrase would be, but like not uh, glam, you know, and yeah. and the women are not sort of like doing, yeah, lots of makeup and hairstyling and all this kind of stuff in the way yeah. that some shows might kind of overly um, stylize. So, yeah, I yeah. don't know. I, I, I thought it was an interesting. Also, I was a little confused what these badges are for. Uh, well, Dwight will... Dwight will fill us in on that. I guess just one other thing, really? Phyllis, is that she doesn't, I think part of it is that she doesn't do makeup in a way that would be considered really good or like really effective. Right, right. Like she does, it's too much. And the thing with the Dwight says, it is cruel. And at the same time, I think he does not intend it that way at all. It's just this reaction to it where he does not understand makeup. Like he he has no understanding, I think, of what she's going for, but not hitting there. But Dwight does explain. And so I think this is connected to the position that Michael gave him. What was it that Michael called him at the end of the last episode? like head of security you're the, right you know, something along those lines oh okay I think this comes out of that so i think dwight has initiated this because he says id badges are long overdue security in this office park is a joke last year i came to <laughs> sorry i came to work with my spud gun in a duffel bag i sat at my desk all day with a rifle that shoots potatoes at 60 pounds per square inch can you imagine if i were deranged <laughs> it's so, a good joke. Dwight is picking up a threat to the office, and interestingly, he is the th- he is both the threat and the one who fixes it. I kept thinking about okay, sixty pounds per square inch. <laughs> I was trying to understand that measurement, but I thought it was really funny. Um, Tyler, are you familiar? Have you ever interacted with a spy gun? I have. I fired one. Before. Are you serious? Yeah, have you? That is the most shocking answer. I know. I have not. Tell me about this. Have you been around one or seen one? No. Yeah. So when I was quite young, like probably elementary school or something like that, you know, um, and my <laughs> my dad was still, you know, he was around, you know, not a lot, but when he was around, you know, he would like to go hunting and. So once or twice, my brother and I went up with him to this like hunting cabin Hmm. and, you know, they, everybody would go out and like, whatever, try to hunt deer or whatever. But when they were done, they would just hang around, you know, like a campfire. And, Mm -hmm. um, but then like there was targets for like target practice or whatever. So they would shoot, you know, whatever kind of guns. And one of the guns that I remember them having was a potato gun. And I don't know whether ever I was like allowed to fire it or not. I just remember seeing it being in the vicinity because something that was very strange was that they used like um, aerosol hairspray as the sort of accelerant. Like they would spray this in the thing and then fire the gun. Um, and anyway, yeah, potatoes would like go smack against the target. And it was incredible. I can't believe that I am admitting this publicly. But yeah. So I have seen a potato, a spud gun. <laughs> so funny. I'm just imagining getting shot with one of those. and. <laughs> Like the thud of a potato hitting you in the back or something. Mm. Oh, so you're imagining that you're running from the spud gun. That's yeah, yeah. I think I picture myself getting shot by the spud gun. (laughs) It's such a funny thing. I mean, I would try it if I had the if I had the opportunity, but 
I'm so glad to know that you've interacted with one of those. For all these people that are into guns or whatever, why not more guns like that? You know what I mean? Like less handguns and AR-15s. Why not more like fruit-based guns and vegetable-based guns? (laughs) What about like, you know, some interesting squirt guns and, you know, uh, like, like, you know. Great question. Because the idea, a spud gun is creative and fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like, comparatively extremely low stakes yeah and actually the fact that dwight finds yeah that the spud gun in the office is the great danger here is interesting well so then uh just in terms of disguises and dressing up michael wants to take ryan's tie and ryan has one of my favorite lines where he says let's um let's keep our own clothes or let's keep <laughs> yeah. clothes. which i just thought was an, i really always admire how they write ryan's like lines that get out of michael's weirdness um and yeah. i thought it was a really funny line yeah. this made me kind of realize how many times ryan is alone in michael's office in yes. these really uncomfortable situations and because when michael likes his tie he comes over and grabs it and he's looking at it and like leaning over him and you can just see how uncomfortable ryan is so he really spends an, appro- an inappropriate amount of time alone in Michael's office, considering the way that Michael interacts with him. And so then is that when he they hear the yelling, which is yes. Oscar yelling about child abuse and Jesus freaking out? Will you read the quote in its full detail? It's like child abuse. I say if Jesus saw that, he'd freak out. He'd freak out, Toby. <laughs> I mean, on some levels, it's, and I'm supposed to work there. I'm supposed, that's what I've got. (laughs) Yes. I just love when he says he'd freak out. He'd freak out. (laughs) I love that too. Do you remember when this poster came into the office? Was it at Christmas? It was a Christmas. I don't really remember. It's for you. Do you remember who gave it to Angela? Oh man, this is a game-based episode. Um, Let's see, who would have, Pam? No. Phyllis? No. Dwight? No. Let's see how many it takes you going. Oscar wouldn't have gotten it. No. Yeah, so, no. can't be him. Stanley? No. <laughs> Why are we bad at this? Um, not Michael. Who else is there? Was it Michael? No. Okay. Um, Toby. It's Toby. <gasps> oh, I didn't realize. Toby is at the heart of this whole That thing. is fascinating. That changes my whole reading of this episode. <laughs> I think we that was when we were talking all about the gifts. I feel like we talked about that as the most effective and selfless gift because he has to be humiliated to go into the store and buy that. Yeah. He says something like, yeah, I felt kind of weird buying it. But Angela loves it. She's the person, aside from Pam and her teapot, I guess, who gets the most personal, most well-tailored to her gift. But now everyone has to deal with the consequences. I just adore Oscar's reaction. I love that he says Jesus would freak out if he saw this. That poster is so weird. And I I just think that this is a great conflict. And when Michael says, so Toby there kind of pulls Michael aside and explains 
how this works. I want to hear yeah. what you think about the representation of HR departments here. Same. He explains how this works, and he basically says that you know sometimes people just need to vent, and so you let them vent, and you move on. And Michael asks him, "What do you know about conflict resolution?" Your answer to everything is to get divorced. So, <laughs> yeah. And Toby says something like, "Well, that was the right decision for me and my marriage." Yes. <laughs> these things so earnestly um yeah I, I had the same question for you about like is this a good strategy or not I mean I think the yeah. episode kind of suggests that it is uh -huh. actually a good strategy because everybody needs to vent but none of these conflicts can actually be resolved mm -hmm. so um so there it's like just inevitable that they're gonna fester yeah and, um Michael's desire to like solve them while perhaps admirable is like wrong headed or something like that. I don't know. But on the other hand, I kept thinking about this as some sort of meta metaphor for narrative itself and mm. how narrative is supposed to resolve conflict and mm. net and especially sitcoms are all about like, you know, largely non um, grandiose conflict that gets resolved, you know, so it's like, Oh, you know, not not ultra serious drama but like minor conflicts that end up getting resolved happily that is what comedy yeah. is supposed to be and uh yeah. so yeah I kept thinking about how the <laughs> Toby and HR are both like both a representation of conflict in the workplace and how HR is essentially useless <laughs> verse and at the same time how like Toby kind of represents the office's approach to storytelling mm -hmm. which is to not really resolve any conflicts but oh, wow. I think Toby is one of the writers on the show or one of the head writers. So um, anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious what you thought about this. Yeah. Well, I want to know what you think about the positioning of conflict in narrative terms. So I kind of claimed when we when we watched Michael's birthday that that was the climax, that that was our kind of peak point of the season and for me I think that was because it hit its high point of officeness mm. like it reached its pinnacle of officeness that sort of struck this high note that then we had to have like a the kind of downturn and the um going toward a resolution from that I can't remember what the things were the forces that I felt like were coming together I think some of it being the stuff with people's past you know, kind of learning about characters past. I think there was that kind of conflict that was reaching its point. There was the tension within with Pam and Jim and lots of things. But more reasonably, maybe we have this actually being the point, which is the second to last episode when all of the conflict actually comes out most openly mm. and <laughs> tries to resolve it. I thought I might read a definition from Masterclass about oh. story arc and how to structure a climax of a narrative. So Did you just have this on hand. I'm so impressed. Yeah, I just looked it up on my phone. <laughs> okay, so here we go. A climax is a dramatic turning point in a narrative, a pivotal moment at the peak of the story arc that pits the protagonist against an opposing force in order to resolve the main conflict once and for all. The climax is one of the most important literary devices in plot structure. It's the moment when the story arc bends and begins its descent. So 
I just wanted to throw the kind of <laughs> technical story arc thing in there to see what you think about the place of this because we do it is called conflict resolution all of the conflicts blow up here and the office as we've seen does not as you pointed out resolve things in the way that they're sort of supposed to be resolved in a sitcom yeah that's so interesting because yeah on the one hand that definition doesn't really work for this show and then on the other hand this is an episode that brings as a result of one conflict and Michael's like inability to let things go and his mm -hmm. kind of narcissism or whatever like yeah I kind of want to talk about that like his he wants everybody to be a family he wants mm -hmm. them to be but like wants it to be a happy family or something like that and but anyway because of all of this it really brings the Jim Pam plot into crisis in mm -hmm. a way that hasn't been thus far. It's just been kind of chugging along. Yeah. So in that way, this episode does push us towards something important there because like he's looking for a different job suddenly. I mean, on the other hand, like we already didn't, doesn't she already know he's going to miss her wedding? Like, yeah. So I don't mean, I still don't get how Pam doesn't get it. Or if she does, like, not, which is not to blame her, but like, I don't know. It's just very strange to me that she does not see how this guy feels about her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess a lot of the, so like that, the Pam and Jim, that tension has been building up over a long time and will probably talk about it where at the end they actually confront it and as yeah. a picture they talk about it because Jim admits that it was him who made the complaint against her there's the poster conflict which started on Christmas so in an earlier episode in the season there's Phyllis and Angela who have a conflict around the party planning committee which we've seen earlier there's <laughs> Angela and Kevin let me just read this conflict into the record and Michael's resolution Michael says, so this is the part when Michael's pairing people up in the conference room to try to make those resolve, to try and resolve those various conflicts. So with Angela and Kevin are in there and Michael says, all right, Kevin, you are accused of making sexually su suggestive remarks to Angela that made yeah. her uncomfortable. Solution, Angela, you are to make sexually suggestive remarks to Kevin that will make him uncomfortable. And Kevin very quickly says, I accept your decision. <laughs> I love that. But that also goes back to the sexual harassment episode. Yeah. So I do feel like it kind of picks up all of these threads that have been long time conflicts that are then coming out more openly here. Um, you know, there's something I wanted to say. I couldn't figure out when the right moment to say it is. And so mm -hmm. I'll just say it now as a I'm not sure. Anyway, I was trying to make something of it. But something that really struck me about this episode as a whole is the camera work I thought was brilliant and one of the things that I kept thinking about is how often the like and it becomes very clear at the end especially but it's true throughout where like we're in one um conversation or one moment and the camera kind of pans to another space to show the connection between this conversation and another person or group of people so like 
the iconic moment is when Michael is getting his photo taken and then looks up and the camera pans over to Toby looking at him mm -hmm. frustrated and dejected. But um, I feel like another version of that is narratively when Jim and Pam have their conversation in front of everybody while the picture is yes. being taken. Yeah. And it's actually unclear in that moment whether Dwight is grimacing for the camera or grimacing because Jim has just confessed, you know, that he's the one that complained about her. And so I just kept thinking about how this episode is very explicit about surveillance in a way, like mm -hmm. HR is documenting everything you say, because Kelly is like, I thought I was telling that to my friend. And he's like, you know, my your HR representative and that who who documents them but doesn't do anything with it. Yes. Which I kind of love um, because when I think of HR, I think of it as much more uh, insidious than yeah. Toby. Um, and then, so anyway, yeah. So like there is this kind of surveillance there. There's the surveillance of everybody getting a staff photo and Creed treating it like a mugshot. And, you know, um, uh, you know, this idea of needing security or something. So there's just something about a public gaze you know and and that, like the things that you say and do in this space are not private they're not personal they are to some extent you know social and public hmm. and um and, and i felt that the camera work kind of contributed to that but it also yeah it kind of opens up this moment where like there have been a lot of little grievances going on that haven't been brought out into the open for everybody even though everybody's sitting around dealing with them it's really interesting that Dwight and Angela's doesn't get discussed. Like it almost does. Pam is like, yeah. and I love that she said, calls him bubblehead Joe. Um, <laughs> but she's like, I've been keeping this secret for you. You know, how dare you um, yeah. complain about me publicly to somebody else? Anyway. Yeah. That the camera work thing makes me think about another kind of formal aspect of this that is maybe related and this felt like a an episode where there were more more fast flipping back and forth around mm. between different conversations and people talking and other people kind of talking through them in the background so one example of this was when let's see Dwight or no sorry um this is oh this is the part actually when i think Pam was talking to Angela and you could hear in the background, not on camera, Michael talking to Stanley. Mm. So Michael says Stanley. And then Pam walks over and Pam says, hey, thanks for ratting me out to Angela. Then Michael, still to Stanley, says, you've got a lot of anger under there, buddy. Come on. Uh, come on. Start letting it out. Unleash it. Something like that. And I think the real mystery at the center of this episode is what Stanley is angry about because then he and Michael continue to talk off camera but it's inaudible so there's this kind of what would be the word for this like a intersecting or overlapping mm -hmm. of some of these conversations where then one fades in and one fades out so I don't really know what to make of that but I am curious what Stanley's angry about yeah we don't really get much yeah i do love his line phyllis is like we're close he's like we sit close <laughs> sometimes oh, yeah. i think i sometimes think that you are closest to stanley as a as a 
Yeah, I feel like he's your character. Although then other times I think you've got Pam energy. Uh, <laughs> oh, you think that me as a person, I'm most similar to Stanley? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> That's so funny. I think because, yeah, I think you're very, well, like we were talking about with the with the birthday episode, like you wouldn't talk about your public, you wouldn't talk your, your diagnosis or things like that. Like I feel like Stanley's very private. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and anyway, when he said we sit close, I was like, that's mega, that's a mega thing. <laughs> um, okay, he so does, go ahead. Oh, no, it's not. I guess it's not his complaint. No. So, yeah, Kevin, we do not know any of Stanley's complaints. We know that Kevin has a complaint against Stanley because he says Stanley uses his miracle whip without asking, which echoes Jim's impression of stanley talking about miracle whip you're right damn yeah, miracle whip picked back up here but yeah the the absence at the heart of this is stanley's anger that michael wants to draw out but back to something you said about the complaints that they go into a box i feel like so they they just go they pile up and pile up and they just are in this file and a box underneath Toby's desk. And I feel like you could do some drawn out, super literary reading of this. Do you remember reading? Did you do the purloined letter and like that set of essays? Oh, yes, that's yes. That's where the purloined letter. And it's oh about this movement of this letter where you don't know what the content is, right? Like it's kind of unspoken content. And it tr it's about how it travels and moves around. And so there's something about all of people's anger just getting put into a box that then it's under a desk although part of it's in the box and part of it is just in this open filing cabinet that's right next to toby's yeah desk. it's not even a filing cabinet it's a filing cart or something yeah it's yeah yeah completely open and there but it looks so unassuming that you probably wouldn't imagine it's full of people's secrets that's amazing megan that is so amazing just i love this idea of you know kind of the the open secret and it's also an, an emotional metaphor here right like I, I was kind of curious about michael's your your thoughts on michael's philosophy of conflict versus toby's um yeah. so toby's is basically people need to vent um and then they forget about their problem yeah Michael is like, no, we need to get things out and resolve them so that we can move past, which in a way is a, he's like the psychoanalyst or whatever, right? He's like, you know, his shiatsu massage metaphor, I thought, <laughs> you know, but I kind of like, like, I kind of liked Michael's life philosophy there. Um, at the same time, uh, he uh, predictably becomes enamored with the win-win-win scenario, which means that he wins as well. <laughs> and uh yeah. So, you know, he's not necessarily great at executing it, but yeah, I was kind of curious what you thought either. Yeah. Your take on those two different styles, but also the shows, does the show have a attitude towards them? Yeah. Hmm. Well, it seems like Michael has a, almost, I'm wondering if Michael has two styles going because one of them is where he goes into the conference room. He's got a poster behind him and he has a binder. And the poster says, you know, conflict. I, I can't remember what it is, but it's it's a poster. Oh, yeah, it says communicate. Work together to resolve conflict. 
And the binder with those numbered items that you go through from a lose-lose, a compromise, a win-win, win-win-win, it's got this very corporate feel that to me is sort of similar to the diversity training day. It's this very corporate, very formulaic, very laid out kind of structure for resolving conflict where you're supposed to be able to read the items in the binder and it will resolve conflict. Yes. Of course it fails. So he's got that element. But then, like you said, he's got this kind of psychoanalyst dimension too, where he's like, you've got a lot of anger under there, buddy. Like dig it out, unleash it. So Mm -hmm. really dig into the things that are the problems, like really let them out into the light, talk about them. You mentioned the shiatsu massage. Can we talk about that? Yeah. Is the example of this? Do you want to read it? Do you have a quote? Uh, I think I do. One second. Massage. The Japanese have this thing called shiatsu massage where they dig into your body very hard. And it is very painful. And apparently some people throw up. But the next day they feel great. I've never had one. They sound awful. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, none of the complaints about Michael are at stake in this episode. You know, it'd be a really different episode if if he knew that there were any complaints about him. Um, One of the funniest moments is Toby taking all those complaints to the um, filing down in the warehouse, right? Which is meant to be... Did you catch this? This is a reference to um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, no. Have you seen that movie, the Indian first Indian? Yeah, Indiana yeah movie? but it's been many years. They have a, they you know get the Ark of the Covenant or whatever, and then box it up, and it, the like final image is of like a guy wheeling it into a warehouse with like just thousands and thousands and thousands of similar boxes, you know. Oh, interesting. And that is also a reference to. Um, the end of Citizen Kane, where like there's all of these, you know, things in this house. Have you ever seen this no. scene? So it's like the whole movie, you know, there's a reporter trying to figure out why the, uh, you know, this uh, Charles Foster Kane's last word is rosebud. And, um, you know, they never figure it out. But in the final moments of the movie, like people are taking all the stuff out of this guy's house, you know, yeah. burning it um all this junk and they toss this sled in the fire and it's the sled that he had as a kid and it's like you know his innocence or whatever and it says rosebud on it but it's like the camera zooming out it just like tons and tons and tons of stuff um and uh so yeah there's something about bureaucratic um memory and archives and the you know and the things that go unregistered but mm-hmm. to go to your like psychoanalytic reading earlier too, I kept thinking all of this stuff being written down. It's like, what is it? You know, when when Jim is confronted with all of the things that he's done, that are all they're all recorded and they're all true, and it's like, and he says something about having them read back to back. It doesn't seem funny, you yeah. know. Something about in your uncon. Like I kept thinking about it. It's like his unconscious, like. Mm-hmm that you know he he thinks that they're funny and he thinks oh it's just one day's thing but then seeing it all this this archive of all of his bullying or, or his joking or his pranking is it's he like can't be experienced in the same way i don't know yes yeah and that is the thing of 
I guess, yeah, talk, talk therapy. And part of what you do is string all of those things together and connect those different dots in your life to kind of ask what's going on with me in the way that I am reacting to Dwight in each of these times. For Michael, the comparison to the, the shiatsu massage, that it's so painful that people throw up, <laughs> also suggests, I think, the intensity of, so if he wants to do that thing where he says, you've got a lot of anger under there, buddy, unleash it. That's going to be, like, that is, that is a big deal thing to open up. And Michael is not trained in shiatsu massage or psychoanalysis like he cannot he wants to draw this stuff out but it's a dangerous thing to do if you're not prepared do you think toby's method is better uh, good question i don't know i'm wondering if there's some kind of balance where like putting it into a box is pragmatic. And I guess it depends what kind of relationship do you want with people in the office? So I think this is part of the thing of it being like a family. And we're taking a, a group picture at the end, like a family picture. And when people have their kids and you try and get everybody to look happy at one time, and it's just a disaster and it's really hard to achieve. So we've talked about Michael's desire to have the office be like, a family and for a family it makes sense to go to therapy like it makes sense to pull things out in order to process them and move forward but with an office does it matter like do you need to establish that kind of relationship or do you just need to kind of be able to exactly vent get through it so that you can live with each other I think it's a great question. I mean, especially, I don't know, like, I definitely feel like I've made the wrong choice sometimes to be like, no, let's have this conflict. And like, you know, this is bothering, like, let's deal with this. And, uh, and in, and I think in the spirit of reaching a more authentic or yeah. happy place, um, but it has definitely backfired <laughs> sometimes where it's like, oh, that's just not going to be possible because of either, you know, structural or situational factors or because oh, like we just don't, we're never going to mesh. We don't get along, you know? And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I've been, I think, I think my sympathy leans towards Michael, even mm -hmm. if I think Toby is probably right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I, I, I agree. My sympathy, my sympathy uh, does lean toward, toward Michael here too. It's interesting, just as you were saying, like that we get individual pictures throughout, and then the ending of the episode is a, a family photo or a group photo, mm -hmm. and a group photo that then has to be doctored to make them look happy. And, um, yeah. and, yeah, I mean, I think it's such a beautiful and hilarious metaphor uh for michael's like the extent to which he'll go to turn things into what he wants rather than what reality is yeah but at the same time it is an aspiration that it that can be exploited right he's the boss you know whatever um but it's also not like the worst aspiration in the world that people get long get along with each other or whatever and um 
and so the office is individuating right it's like here's your photo your card you're on your own you're separate and then mm. you know michael kind of wanting this connectedness to the degree that he's not even having them work he's having them process like petty disagreement i don't know yeah. i don't have an argument here it's just it's an interesting um I, I just like that point that you made about kind of how it arrives at a group photo. Hmm. I, <laughs> the fact that Michael <laughs> describes himself, he says, I'm sort of an expert at Photoshop. So it turned out fine in the end. When people work together, there's going to be conflict. You can't outrun your problems. So true. I agree with that. Love it that he thinks he's an expert at Photoshop and then it shows <laughs> us the picture and it's ridiculous. So Michael does want to bring out the conflicts, but he only is able to poorly stitch people back together again. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's so true. Tyler, um, do you know about cage matches? I don't know anything about them. Okay, me neither. <laughs> I couldn't even get the joke uh, at the end because I didn't really understand cage. So if anybody wants to write in and explain cage matches to us. Yeah, please focus um, on that. It comes I, out, didn't yeah. you mention it earlier and then at the end too? Yes. Yeah, it's the final beat is about opening the cage. But yeah. he definitely mentions it earlier where it's like somebody has to win or something like that. Yeah. So he says at the end, and that is why the, the idea of a cage match is so universally appealing. But here's the thing about cage matches. Sometimes you have to open the cage. And that is something Toby will never understand. Earlier, he says cage matches. Yeah, they work. How could they not work? If they didn't work, everybody would still be in the cage. <laughs> but there is that he's going to like force everybody to resolve a conflict. He's going to force conflict into the open. Um, yeah. But I really loved your point about how the show is kind of satirizing corporate attitudes towards conflict, where it's like, okay, uh -huh. we'll sit down and, you know, we'll follow this script and whatever. And, you know, and we'll pretend that something's being sought. I don't know. I, I, I really hate that shit so much. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I agree. I do too. On a side note, I'm starting to do a little bit of quick research on cage matches. Would you like to hear? Yeah. What have you discovered? Context. Okay. So history of the steel cage match online world of wrestling.com. So cages are one of the oldest forms of enclosures used in professional wrestling. According to some historians, the first cage match of any kind took place on June 25th, 1937. Okay, I might have gotten a little, a little bit too, too deep here. Let me go back to the Wikipedia definition because it was more efficient. But this is what it says. So a cage match, an event, an event in which wrestlers battle in an enclosed location, escaping over the top to win. Hmm. So it looks like there's kind of a tall chain link fence around them mm -hmm. and they're inside of it. So they have to climb. They have to escape by climbing over the top and getting out. And it looks like they'll kind of climb up on the first bar and throw the other guy down. Hmm. I thought it was just fighting in a cage. I didn't realize the cage was like a crucial part of the game. Yeah, so part of it is that you get out, you fight in the cage, but then you get out over the top. Okay. So Michael loves the cage match, 
but that's definitely a win-lose. <laughs> right? That's not a win-win-win. No. He says, sometimes you have to open the cage. So is he opening the cage? <laughs> like, what, what is his position in the cage match? I feel like I need to give this some more thought. We're definitely going to revise and regret this one later. Is he sort of thinking in that case? So he says, Toby will never understand. So Toby wants to just put like keep it closed so he puts the lid on the box and he just keeps it under the desk and he doesn't process it he doesn't send it to new york he just lets it be done mm-hmm. he's part of opening the cage opening the box like what's what's the cage here we're gonna need to think about this well i think it's i guess if we were to i don't know i mean i need to know more about what cage fighting is but i thought michael's view was like you stick people in the cage to force the conflict into yes. the open and then it will it will resolve because somebody has to leave but yeah it definitely goes against his win 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 on the other <laughs> hand his version of win 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 seems like a real lose for oscar i got to say oh okay wait, we got to talk about that yeah okay so <laughs> well before anything i i have something i need to read into the record because well, I really just want to talk about it in it in relationship to the whole solution. But uh-huh. okay, so um, Michael says, "I want you to express your fear feelings using I emotion language and no judging or you statements." Not that's good advice. Um, Angela says, "I got this poster for Christmas, and I feel that I want to see it every day. It makes me feel like the babies are the true artists, and God has a really cute sense of humor." Michael says, "Come on, seriously, that." And then here is what Oscar says, and I really have been excited to get your um, your feelings about this argument. Oscar says, I don't like looking at it. It's creepy and in bad taste, and it's just offensive to me. It (laughs) makes me think of the horrible, frigid stage mothers who force the babies into it. It's kitsch. It's the opposite of art. It destroys art. It destroys souls. This is so much more offensive to me than hardcore porno. So what what are your thoughts on this poster and art versus um, kitsch versus hardcore porn? <laughs> I, I really love Oscar in this scene. I think it is really interesting how he goes into an argument that's about art. He really elevates this thing. Because, yeah, he says it's creepy, it's in bad taste, but putting it to the definitions of art and that it destroys art, it destroys souls, makes me think about those, you know, the pictures, like paintings of um, like little naked angel babies and stuff like that that are at the tops of churches and like where, where can you have pictures of mostly unclothed children or babies and have it be acceptable right like when is it in good taste when is nudity in good or near nudity in good taste and when is it in bad taste oh yeah then when it applies to babies or to children i think he's right these posters are trash i just love the passion that he brings to this argument what do you think uh well first it cracks me i hadn't really thought about that point um about kind of like religion and the kind of um 
fetish or whatever for unclothed children <laughs> baby, mm. you know the baby as the angelic um figure yeah. you know um but it's really interesting that angela says it makes me feel the babies are the true artists and god has a cute sense of <laughs> just because i would expect that god would be the artist in this analogy not the baby it's <laughs> um, a really good call so that's interesting because what are the babies really doing they and it's a photograph. It's not like a painting or, you know, anyway. I, 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 so all the they babies. Are musicians, are doing... Tyler. They are musicians. They're right. The... They're musicians. They're in the poster. Um, do you think they're in Scrantonicity? That would be cool. Uh, okay. So then <laughs> they Oscar. Are, though, they are kind of an echo of Scrantonicity where we start, we start by hearing about a band. We see the babies in a band. But the thing you pointed out about her saying, that God has a really cute sense of humor, they keep arguing this within a religious framework. So for Angela, it connects to God and God having a sense of humor. Oscar argues that it destroys souls. Yeah. And so it has this real moral, he's making a real moral argument about it and saying that Jesus would freak out if he saw this. I feel like he's trying to use her logic against her or something there which is not ever effective i think uh with very religious people <laughs> or in my experience uh because yeah, because you argued that jim last time that jim's i know of dwight's drug drug logic was great great argument but maybe this is different although he seems in that part when he's saying that jesus would freak out he also seems so impassioned and so sincere about it that it almost doesn't have that feeling of being of using the logic and being like well if you you care about jesus and so according to what you care about this is hypocritical and he wouldn't like right. this. yeah we don't really know oscar's religious beliefs right um right so so maybe this is a genuine statement or, you know, a genuine analysis, but it's interesting. I mean, just the line between art and kitsch uh -huh. um, brings us back to, I know we keep talking about Michael's birthday, but we had talked about the James Dean poster that his mother mm -hmm. sent him or whatever. And I think we kind of talked about it as mall kitsch, you know, like anyway. So it's interesting that that comes up again. Yeah. Um, and so it was the heart of the season and he doesn't really say like angela doesn't call this art but he hates it because it destroys art so this suggests that he really does care about true art um and uh yeah i don't know that's it's so interesting that he's like offended by it mm -hmm. that taste offend he says offensive twice yeah um, i don't know yeah it's interesting maybe this will come up later with the finer things club mm. next season but we yeah we do learn that oscar oscar appreciates fine art oh all right cool man that's a, i wonder i sometimes wonder whether they come up with these things and then you know expand them later because yeah. we had him say that and it would make sense or whether they plant seeds mm -hmm. you know um knowing that they're gonna expand or you know grow them later i don't know yeah it's a really interesting process thing before we wrap up, I feel like we should maybe briefly talk about the the Dwight Jim 
thing just a little bit more since oh, it was yeah. Such, yeah, yeah. such a big conflict. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, plot-wise, it sets up the possibility of him going to Stanford. And um, and it was just interesting how Jim and Dwight have an initial conflict. And then as they discuss Stanford, there's, uh, uh, you know, Dwight almost seems melancholic a little bit. And so does Jim, as they both seriously consider it. Um, Dwight says he has a girlfriend. I thought that was very interesting. <laughs> but the best part to me of all of this is just, it felt like it paid off something you and I have talked about, which is like, are Jim's pranks funny or are they, do they verge on kind of bullying or whatever at some point? Yeah. And it felt like Jim and the show were kind of acknowledging like, oh, you know, because he says like, well, he deserves it, right? Like, and there's a no clear confirmation on how the camera people are responding to that. And then- yeah. What's the other aspect of it? Oh, it's hilarious to hear all these jokes that we didn't get to see, mm -hmm. to hear them described. Like yeah. for me, the funniest was the uh, the phone one. You know, the yes. adding nickels and then taking them out and him hitting him face. That's a really smart prank. It's clever. Yeah, clever. A long game. Took a lot of time, but yeah. So Dwight discover he discovers the box and he describes it as four years of malfeasance unreported and then it's michael reading off the conflict complaints and that's where jim becomes self-reflective when he has to face those four years of malfeasance and it's i think it's right after that that michael talks about the shiatsu massage so i feel like jim is the one maybe jim more than anybody is the person who's really being dug into there and having to face those years of things that he's done and the ways that he spent his time and kind of questioning it. Yeah. Cause I do feel like, you know, we, we, we've talked about it in the early episodes and then we haven't repeated it endlessly because it's always true, but you know, like the show is kind of about the soul sucking nature of, of labor and it's, you know, and it particularly like white collar, um, whatever office jobs and uh and that's how i've always taken the pranking is like you know to fill your day with something more interesting and to get payback on the people who take this stuff really seriously and are dicks but then on the other hand yeah jim is definitely faced with the like oh my god like not only if i but much like ryan it's like i've wasted all my life like in this job and then this is how i've spent my time to yeah. to make it bearable and yet it's like, it's pleasurable in the moment, but not in, you know, what do you, what do you have to show for it, I guess, or something? Yeah. Yeah. It's a reckoning. So Tyler, you think it's time to go to the Dundies? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. I think you should go first this time. Okay. You know what? I didn't come up with a name for this Dundee. Gosh, what should I call it? I think I'm going to call it the Ethical Art Award, and it goes to Oscar Martinez. I have already talked about how wonderful I thought Oscar was in this episode. I love the passion and rage and righteous anger that he brings to the critique of this poster. So Oscar is my Dundee winner for the week. Um, I guess I have two this week. Um... The first is the Emotional Honesty Award, which goes to Phyllis. Uh, I oh. loved that she whispers to Angela, I don't like you. 
I just like <laughs> finally, you know, just say it, put it on front street. You know, I love that. Um, and then uh, for the, uh, the, the emotional Shiatsu massage award goes to Michael Scott, because <laughs> I kind of, uh, kind of agree with him a little bit, you know, get, let's get the conflict out there. Let's deal with it, you know, and, uh, and the consequences be damned. Um, so yeah. I was kind of impressed uh, by him. And, uh, you know, I, I thought I was going to go for Toby, you know, but the more that I thought about it, I was like, all right, if you take the show seriously and you take Michael Scott's behavior seriously, like a lot of the things he does are really bad things. And <laughs> so the fact that Toby has been sitting on all of those complaints and not sending them to corporate is maybe not so great for the office culture. Um so it made me question Toby's uh, uh, values, his his strategies a little bit, you know? That's a good point. And actually, with this being such a Toby-heavy episode, I meant to ask you for your defense of Toby and your pitch for Toby being the best character. I just think he is... It's excruciating for me to watch him sometimes. His, <laughs> his sad... Eye, his eyes are so sad and puppy dogged and like pathetic and he takes all this abuse from michael and um yeah i don't know and like i'm not even sure what his value system is but like he does seem to try to be a good person uh -huh. like and the fact that he's listening to people's complaints and he's you know letting them have their moment but not I don't know. I, I I don't know. There's just something. He's a really interesting character to me as somebody who and like it, Michael's rage at him always seems like way out of proportion. Doesn't mm -hmm. seem to make much sense. But then also Toby, I feel like can be kind of cutting and like a little bitchy, you know, and there's not a but it reads it doesn't read as mm -hmm. like kind of cutting sarcasm in the because he's so depressive um huh yeah i don't know i just really like toby <laughs> good so even though you're questioning him in this episode yeah you're still all for him as a character still committed yeah um well so next episode casino night is this the season finale this is the season finale wow how yeah. do, you, do you have any feelings thoughts and feelings as we go into it things you want us to look for pay attention to as we watch you know set us up Good question. I did not think about that before. And so I have zero thoughts or suggestions about it. It's a really different kind of episode in some ways. And an interesting one. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. But it's a lot to look forward to. Well, I'm really excited. And uh, yeah, thanks, everybody for listening. Don't forget to email us at the best office hours podcast at gmail.com. We will read your thoughts and questions and suggestions and comments on the air. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening.